it's the journey, not the destination. This journey is about the process of learning, growing, helping, and waking up to who we are along the way. Let's explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, and doing the things that light us up. I'm your host, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and welcome to It's the Journey. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to It's the Journey. I am excited and honored to sit down today with psychologist Rachel Michelle. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited to, to dive into your field of study of depth psychology and all the things that you're jumping into and studying and working on. Uh, but before I do that, let me give the audience a little bit of idea of why I wanted to chat with you and um, why I'm excited to, to, to dive into your, to your wisdom. Okay. For those of you who've been listening or, or have read any of the things, you'll know that a huge part of my healing and growth and journey was me utilizing tools in therapy and psychology. And really, uh, it helped me with what something that you and Rachel, Rachel had said in our previous conversation about having the courage to let our inner voice be heard. Mm-hmm. That process of, of uh, kind of peeling back the onions of my onion layers of myself and looking into, uh, as Ken Wilber says, the, the recesses of my soul helped me learn to, to love myself and trust myself and say yes to the things that I really deeply wanted to do, but never really felt safe to do and often held myself, absolutely held, held myself back from, from doing. So that that was such an important part of my journey. And I've talked about it and been open about it, but I'm always so excited to bring on experts because it's not, it's not what I do. So I, I don't ever want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend to be a therapist. I just like, I'm promoting, not promoting it, but just, just saying hey, that's one of the many, many tools that were helpful to me. So thank you for jumping in and sharing some of your wisdom with, with us. But before we dive into that, I like, I love, I love journeys and stories and I especially, I love reading, whether it's biographies or meeting people and um, seeing lives where there's this thread of growth and expansion and exploration. And, you know, you've got an awesome, awesome example of that, or you are an awesome example of that. And uh, especially like even in my own story, like something what uh, Oscar Wilde had said was behind every exquisite thing that existed, there was something tragic something, some pain, some hurt, some, some dark night of the soul that, that kind of pushed us or nudged us or gave us even a space to pause and go, oh, maybe I want to go this way or that way. And so in your story, you know, just so people know, like, you know, you were a Pilates teacher that then became a health coach that then opened a boutique health service to help coach women recovering from breast surgery and pelvic floor dysfunction. And then you dove into getting a PhD and so you finished your master's last year and you're going to start your dissertation soon this year. And on top of all that, you also spent uh, five years in China and have a minor in Mandarin and you do uh, copy editing for a journal and help people write books. And you just, it's, it's exciting. I love, I love meeting people that are doing so many fun things and um, 
exploring the the parts of themselves as as they go through this journey. So uh, let's let's dive into to your journey and your story and kind of what led you to where um, to where you are now in terms of your studying of depth psychology and what you hope to do with that. Sure. Okay. Um, I think I'll just the first thing that popped into my head was you were talking about the Oscar Wilde quote. And that really resonates with what we say in depth psychology a lot is being the wounded researcher, which just means you're a part of your expertise becomes your own experience mm -hmm. through wounding and your own healing. And so you've sort of embodied that um, as you're going forward and teaching. Um, and you mentioned the copywriting I do, which is through Chiron publication. And Chiron is the character of the wounded researchers. So it just, it's this theme that just keeps coming back around. And so it's, you know, 100% part of my story as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I went from working overseas in China and I thought I would just kind of stay there indefinitely. I was doing education, but also where it kind of overlapped and intersected with international relations um, and how we could help American education by being a little bit more globally competent because although we have a lot of strengths, like a, a global competency, a multilingual cultural competency, it's just, it's lacking in American culture. So that it, American education. So that was kind of my focus, but um, you know, you run into oftentimes major surprising kind of life-changing situations and um, mine was health and I think others you know can relate to this where you're just out of the blue have something that knocks you down um and so that got me switching gears over uh, to health yeah no that's it, 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 yeah it, that i like i like i like that you're going to be able to explain this story because it's it's something i think so many especially young people or if you have young person in your life there's so much stress over what people are going to be, you know, from the youngest age, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? What are you going to be? And then, and, and then kids are, are I, I used to lay in bed at night stressing about not knowing what I wanted to be. And then here I am at this point in my life realizing, goodness, you know, like I didn't have to know. Um, I just had to keep following my passions. And then life gives you lessons that, that no one in your, you know, however many years ago, no one knew what was going to occur in your life that was going to lead you where you are. So I just, if you're a younger person or you've got a younger person in your life, help, help, you know, just give yourself, take a deep breath and know that you're on a journey and life sometimes gives you the lessons that you need. If you don't, even if you don't, wouldn't have asked for them. Right. So. hundred percent. I would say life always gives you the lessons, whether or not you want to listen. And <laughs> right. Different. And, and oftentimes we're offered it multiple times throughout our life. And sometimes we're just not ready to. Um, yeah. And, you know, in depth psychology, we talk about sort of the first half of life. If you're speaking to young people is, is developing that sense of being out in the world and what, what your, we call it ego. It's your building, you know, and that was for me, that was international relations. That was education. That was communication. That was, all the things that I sort of consciously chose, like this is interesting to me, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go after this. But then there's also this flip side of what we call the self and there's an inner voice that is autonomous. It's not, you're not sort of under conscious control and that can speak through just your body and other ways. And it's kind of like, okay, we're actually gonna go this direction. You're like, well, wait, wait, I was going this direction. Um, and it's just, it's such a common 
pattern we can all relate to, but certainly like that's what got me on this um, journey. And I think after a while, you just know that it's, it's going to be part of what you do for the rest of your life because um, it is you versus you sort of selecting it, you know, I feel like when I was in college, I was looking at all these degrees, like a lineup, <laughs> like I'll pick that one or I'll pick that one. You just almost at random, like it was kind of what you're interested in kind of, you know, I had already lived in China. So I was like, oh, it makes sense to study Chinese. And, um, but all of it's a little bit like throwing darts at a dartboard. Um, and yeah. that's when things really smack you and um, take you by surprise that you discover maybe what you're meant to do. So, how is it? So, so I, I, I see it. I see that theme over and over again. So like, you know, you're, you're 18, 19, 20, 25, whatever, and you're picking things and you think, you know, the world and you're trying to build this career and then something smacks you and you have this horrible dark night of the soul. And if you learn from it, it shifts you in a different direction. So like, you know, maybe what, what are some of the tools that, that, that you want to share or dive into how, people um at various points in their life to to maybe sure. even even because i've 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 thought about that like it took it took an immense amount of pain for me to kind of stop fighting what i wanted to be um how, how can you get there without <laughs> I can, I mean, it's, those things are always going to happen, but how can you like not sit around and go, well, I guess I'm going to wait till all these bad things happen and then I'll, then I'll get my stuff together, you know? Sure. It's almost impossible to think that way. You know, your, your head's down, you're doing whatever you need to do. But once those, you know, things happen and you experience the pain or the darkness or the suffering, um, I think a natural human reaction is to be scared of it and to avoid it. Like we're just sort of programmed to avoid pain. And so then, like you said, we're spending a ton of energy hovering around it, not quite connecting with it, trying to avoid it and living out of fear. And so that's when we, we can't make progress anymore. There's not going to be transformation. So if I had to give any advice, it's, it's to just hold, you know, suspend the fear as long as you can and, and lean into the pain as a teacher, lean into the suffering as a teacher, give it a voice. Um, and in that way, things start to move and to shift because it's so easy to think of one is bad and one is good. But in reality, um, what, you know, maybe the best thing for you and I have a feeling you might be able to relate is the bad stuff that comes up. It's, it ends up being the best thing for you. It's the biggest teacher, the biggest, um, material to work with, um, to transform and, you know, a whole nother facet of that is then you're actually able to relate to anyone else who has experienced that. And so a whole section of humanity becomes, um, something you can actually deeply connect with and have empathy for. And that is such a gift um, and brings us, you know, so much meaning and purpose. It's just, it's so hard to see all that 
when you're first encountering this stuff. And so I love to reinforce the idea of having psychological faith. And it's, it's almost like a skill you have to develop, but to have faith that there is meaning and purpose to what's going on. Uh, because the second things become meaningless, purposeless, there's a sense of chaos and it, chaos can be good too, but, but if it's um, feeling random and feeling pointless, then we're going more into despair, right? Then we're going into losing faith um, and we can get lost there and yeah. it's not as transformative. I think as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, and I think listeners can probably relate to this. Some, sometimes when you're, if you go through tough experiences as a kid and maybe your parents don't have the tools to help you, or maybe they're even the ones that are causing the problems. And so when you're a kid and you don't have any of these tools and then you grow up and then you just think that that was normal or that was a thing and you, you bury that, you know, you've, you've, and, and some of the things you wrote and in a previous conversation you brought up, um, and I'm going to say Jung and <laughs> I know you say young and it just, so the audience knows we're not fighting. It's just, I, <laughs> We're not having a, we're, uh, I studied German for eight years and I know I, I have too many German friends that would be upset with me if I said young. So <laughs> that's, it's, uh, so Carl Jung or young, uh, talks a lot about this shadow thing, the shadow concept. And, and that you've mentioned that several times in, in some of the things I've written, I've read that you, that you wrote or in our previous conversation. And I'm, I was fascinated by that. So um, and it was extremely helpful for me, but I don't feel qualified in teaching or explaining it as well as I know you could. So maybe let's dive into that and why that's so important to the work that you're, that you're doing. Yeah. It's a wonderful example of trying to think about things differently than we have been taught or automatically assume. Um, and I say that because in Western civilization, the shadow, especially through religion, is kind of, we've interpreted it as something bad and dark and evil and um, something to be scared of. And, um, you know, even still sometimes, and I'll hear it in social media, the shadow, you know, the shadowy parts of you, and you're thinking like, ooh, um, <laughs> shadows, it's what we've, what we've rejected about ourselves. And it can actually be a beautiful, wonderful thing about ourselves, but we've been told, like you said, in our upbringing or whatever, that we need to reject it. So maybe you were a chatterbox and you had wonderful things to say and you were enthusiastic about life, but you were told like, you need to keep your mouth shut. You need to not do this. Your chatterboxness is going to be shadow material. And so I think it's helpful for people to know that it's, it's just what you've rejected or what people told you to reject. And so it kind of it's so painful in some ways that it's been rejected because it's a, it is a part of you. And uh -huh. so it gets relegated to the unconscious. And so somebody may actually really consider themselves to be quiet when in fact they're a chatterbox. And so it's, um, 
it's un, it's unconscious. And so maybe it just comes up in times when they're triggered or they're complexed or, you know, something, but it's, it's this thing that's like, that's not me. I would never describe myself like that. You know, if you're saying things like that, like I wouldn't describe myself, that that's a very like persona level, ego level. It's like, what's your conscious of shadows, everything you're not, you know, if you think about the moon, this is the dark side of the moon, but it's all the moon. Yes. Nothing bad about the dark side of the moon. Right. Um, I, I love that. Um, that was, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the positive aspects of shadow. Cause you're right. It's, it's usually what you hear is just like the, the bad things that happen that we're, you're repressing, but it was a shock to me that when I learned why I recoiled when someone gave me a compliment, <laughs> like, Oh no, that can't be right. Because it was, I had, I had repressed positive things about me that have, once I embraced have really helped me um, reconstruct my life in a way that I'm really happy with. But I couldn't have done that had I not embraced those, those strengths that I had kind of hid from for so long. And I, 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 when you were saying this, it, it, it just, it brought up a tangent and if it's okay. Like sometimes I hear, I, I see this repeated like with, um, in relationships. And so I, I learned that this too, that oftentimes, you know, we're, we're seeking in someone else or when we've really, really become infatuated or fallen in love with someone, uh, we're seeing something in ourselves that we haven't maybe acknowledged and we're trying to find that in another person. And I recoil sometimes when I, when I, uh, every now and then I'll see like on Instagram or whatever, like a dating coach and they start telling you all the things that you should do to attract someone, which is one, if that's not who you are, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, and then not all the things you shouldn't do, like you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and all these. And so like, that's almost like, that's almost like a intentional way to consciously bury yourself to falsely <laughs> attract somebody. And then you'll wonder in however many years why you're in an unhappy relationship or whatever. <laughs> so, and I think it's the, the, these, these concepts are so foreign to people that, that professionals that are getting actively paid to help people find a mate are telling you to not be yourself. And so, yeah, yeah. Just, I think these tools that you're, that you're giving are, are so helpful for people because if you if you don't embrace yourself, then you're going to build a false life and false relationships and unhappy relationships, and then you're going to, you know, once the once the excitement of the and the newness of it wears off, you're going to wonder why you're not happy. The best relationship advice is to work on yourself first, and you know you're always going to bring a mixed bag. Both people are going to bring a mixed bag, but um, but yeah, getting in touch with the other person's needs before yourself is probably going to set up for a lot of power dynamic and resentful stuff. And yeah. <laughs> right. it's just, it's just, yeah, I, I just, I don't know when you, when you're talking about, I don't know if I just saw the correlation there. I just, it was, it was like reminded me of like, Oh yeah, that's why so many might be why there's so many unhappy people because they're morphing themselves into something else to attract someone sure i mean but then the positive side right like this is also called projection it's what's you know 
there can be something really transformative in a positive way in relationships where Robert Johnson calls it, they're, they're holding your gold in a way. And so it's like, you see this, you're like, oh, this is so like, this aspect of this person is so wonderful. And you sort of, you know, to the point of worshiping it and not quite realizing that part of the reason why it carries so much energy for you is it's a part of yourself that you're not integrating as part of you. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of shadowy, but it's more just, it's like, just underneath, you know, our conscious level, but something you want, something you're, you know, you desire for yourself, but it can get confused as desiring them. Um, And so then relationships can actually be a wonderful platform for transformation if you can start to consciously recognize what it is in them that they're holding for you and, um, you know, start to integrate as part of yourself, acknowledge those parts of what you love in them are actually parts of yourself that you have been um, neglecting or just saying it's not you. And when both people are doing that, and actually if you can do that even before a relationship, both people arrive on the scene a lot more whole and conscious of that. Um, and they're not just allowing the other person to sort of almost like live out their unlived life for them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the whole idea of you complete me is concerning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's romantic. It's a romantic notion, whatever. It sounds great. And I think, you know, your life can feel more full and more fulfilled in a relationship. I think we're meant to be in relationship. We're meant to be in connection. um, But with everything in the world, we're meant to be in relationship with everything, the environment and ideas and ourselves um and so you know if that's the case they're probably you know becoming complacent that you know i'm fine at 70 percent. you're you're my other 30 percent um, <laughs> right you right completely um and so it's you know it is what it is <laughs> okay uh no, no no i think that's that, yeah i like that idea too that, that the two people are uh empowering each other and helping each other grow versus uh two pieces you know whether you, if, if you feel like i'm complete at whatever decade you're in then that means the rest of your life you're stagnant you're, you know it's like that that doesn't sound very interesting to me <laughs> it's a way to live like well we did that now now we'll you know, watch Netflix or whatever. Um, so, uh, on your, within your, your field of research, essentially you, you, the, what you're researching, it says you're the, the intersecting nature of women's sexual health and the process of psychological development that Jung termed as individuation. Can you explain that for, <laughs> For, for people that, that are professionals. <laughs> right when you were saying that we we're not going to change anymore, whatever decade in, I was just, I was going to follow that up with Indi- Jung's individuation is a lifelong process. You don't decide like, I mean, when he says that he means coming into a fullness and integration of all of the parts, acknowledging our many facets um, of our personality and it's 100% a lifelong process. We're individuating until the day we die. And so um, I always get very suspicious when people are like, well, I, I individuated past tense. 
everyone wants to just check a box with, with whatever it is. I'm all right. Are you enlightened? (laughs) Did that. That was easy. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so this individuation process that never ends is informed by so many different things. And to narrow my research, you know, I, I took it from the approach of what have I personally experienced as the wounded researcher and sexual health was 100% part of my health journey, dealing with chronic pelvic pain, you know, despite that I I had very like wonderful childbirth experiences, actually um, very like empowering and life-changing experiences, but they also came with aftermath. And, you know, I found that despite everything that I knew about anatomy and health, and I thought that I was really in touch with my body, this was the greatest teacher that there were still parts of me that I completely disowned. I was numb to, I was completely unfamiliar. I treated them as othered from me. And all of this was sort of a bigger part of not understanding the feminine with a capital F. And that just to kind of survive in modern culture, women have just been very living in in a masculine energy. And so this, this pain that came from such an intimate place in me required something I just did not have. And basically what that was, was an awareness that came from the inside out. Instead of having everything sort of dictated outside into me, I needed all of a sudden to lean on a... Um, sorry, I needed to lean in on an inner wisdom and that inner wisdom was completely feminine and completely untouched by anything other than itself and what it knew of itself. And so it changes your psychological development. It informs you in a different way. And for me, this was really important to look through a depth psychological lens through. There's just so much symbolism with a woman's body and with how it interacts psychologically when we've been disconnected and numb for so long. And yet, because of Jung's relationship to Freud, sort of the fork in the road when they parted ways in 1913 was that, you know, a lot of talk about explicit sexuality was kind of left in Freud's domain. It was the Jungians were like, oh, we're going to go. This is more psychic energy. This is life energy, libido. Let's not just make it only sex. You know, they had points, but sometimes, you know, it's like we always we always are compensating for the other thing. And Freud uh-huh. kind of became the other thing. Like, we're going to compensate, leave all the sex talk to Freud. And so there's, there's a gap in... Jungian literature around just straight up sexuality and libido and the role that it plays in individuation. And so that's what I found when I was kind of looking for it was like, oh, this, there's not a lot here. Um, There's a lot about embodiment. There's a lot about feminine. There's a lot about individuation. There's a lot about everything around it. And it's the pink elephant in the room. Um, And so that's kind of where I landed um, was 
going there, especially with a woman's voice, right? Because there was also right. two guys talking about it, um, and it's never gonna, you know, even if they went there more than they, if Jung went there more than he did, he's it's still from a man's perspective of what he's observing as the other versus what I'm really trying to talk about, which is embodying it and the experience and from a woman's perspective. I, I love all this because you, 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 when you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, you just kept mentioning these two guys trying to explain a feminine experience, which is absurd. And in, in addition, you know, I, you know, I think it's important, for, you know, there's many, you know, you, you had to learn all this for yourself as a woman, you know, these are, you know, from, because there wasn't the information. And so there's millions of, of women out there that are probably dealing with the same thing. And when they go to sources and then when, when they go to try to get help, it's written by men that don't have the same experience, don't have the same parts, don't have the same social experience and everything else to go with it. So that's what's, it's so, ex and, and then to, to, it's, it's exciting. I love it when any field of study, you, you go back and you look at this and go, oh, wow, this is, this is where <clears throat> there was a gap in what was happening between those two. And then they, they separated. And I think there is, there is a connection. Uh, I want to bridge that as well as explain this perspective of, 51% of humanity. <laughs> so, so that's exciting. And I appreciate you sharing that because like it even, you know, so if there's any guys that are listening, they're like, well, oh, I don't, these aren't my parts. I'm not, I'm not, it's not my problem, <laughs> but 51% of the people in, in on the planet and your, your life uh, are female. And I think everything I've, I, I just, I, I appreciate understanding what, other people are going through and, and something you brought up earlier about your experience of, you know, being in China and learning language. I, you know, sometimes people, especially now with like things like Google translate and all the different apps that are available, like, Oh, we don't really need to study language anymore. And my, my older son's, um, uh, you know, STEM degree didn't even have a language requirement. You know, he studied in, in middle school and high school, but his college, he didn't get to study because there was no room for it. But from what, what you were saying earlier, and I want to see how this connects with what you're doing now, is like that, that experience of being a foreigner, that experience of learning another language and another culture has to open up our empathy and our understanding because you have no other choice other than being an arrogant, ignorant, and I mean, ignorant, like, you know, uh, lack of aware a person in another culture, do you think that experience shaped you or you had that in you and you were drawn to it and it just expanded that? Oh yeah. That's actually a great question because we, you know, right now are sort of developing the methodological approach that we're going to do in research. And so we're looking at very personally, what perspective are you coming from? What are your blind spots? What are your biases? And you know, outside of the obvious, one thing I was able to say is, you know, I have actually had the experience of being a minority, which is really unique for a blonde American. And, um, you know, I have walked, you know, the streets in China, just a sea of everybody else, and I'm not, not looking like everybody. And it's, um, 
it's those are the embodied experiences of now I understand what it feels like to feel othered. And there's no way that anyone could have taught me that. It's just it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a feeling of that you can only understand and, you know, in a wordless way. And you're talking about languages not being important anymore. And it's it's so sad because language is not just words you know what i mean there's so mm-hmm. much embedded in language and um you lose that when you lose the language itself but without a doubt like you know my my master's thesis was just focused on the value of immersing yourself in other languages we think we're well traveled and we show up as americans and tourists and we bring all that with us and we have no clue about the local people. And so living abroad is just, it's one of those gifts I wish, you know, everybody um, had and could experience. And we just, we don't value it in American culture as much as we should. Like gap year is pretty Mm -hmm. um, rare. And I think it could be one of the most valuable, you know, things that kids do, but it's just, we want to get them on this one track career, you know, got to hurry up and graduate, you know, Yeah, (laughs) it's efficiency thing. Like instead of learning how to just be a global citizen and, and be in other people's shoes and talk with them and struggle, be the one who's actually struggling with the language. Um, Yes. To be the outsider, to be the foreigner, to to be be the different outsider. Yeah. I, I had that same ex- similar similar experience when I did uh, exchange trips to Germany as a kid. Now, as a as a Caucasian guy walking around Europe, if I kept my mouth shut, I could blend in, or at least no one knew immediately that I was different. I didn't think, and I didn't think I was seventeen when the first time I did that, and I didn't think about it until every time I begin to speak, and no matter what. Or who I was speaking with, the question was, "Where are you from?" I'm asking directions, asking you know, and and uh, or they, if they would guess you're American or want to know where you're from. And it really, it really, again, we can never step fully into someone else's shoes or skin, but it just it for the first time really made me think. Well, what would it be like if I just walked into a room and immediately everyone knew because I was. I was different in whatever way, my skin color or how I dressed or my, my gender or whatever that might be. That, I, I, that really sunk in with me as a kid and really made me think about a lot of our society when I came back. And then, like you said, the language too, when you're struggling. And I, I, I was in Italy last fall and my, my Italian's at the point where people don't immediately know I'm an American, but they always know I'm different and that, you know, they want to know where, where you're from and why are you here? And, but some people are very, very patient with you and, and kind. And sometimes they're impatient when you're different and you're always so grateful. You know how good that feels when someone is trying to help you, you know? So those, those things. And I studied, finance and German and ended up in a career of financial planning. And I didn't use German for 20 something years until I went back there for fun. But that experience shaped me profoundly as I worked with humans and individuals to try to understand their situation 
What's their marriage like? What's their family like? What are their goals for their kids? What are they trying to accomplish? What, how do we, how do I explain this to them in a way they understand this complicated and tangible stuff? Um, oddly, the German literature classes I took helped me far more than the financial accounting classes I took in terms of connecting with human beings you know, and trying to see their perspective. So mm -hmm. I just thought that, that was another, that was a cool, is, is, that wasn't the, the point of our, of our talk, but it was just interesting seeing how that fit in with, with, with where you are and what you're doing. I, I think it's incredibly important to have the experience of being an outsider. And there's a lot of different ways you can experience that. So, so, I mean, even in China, when I was there, the first time was 1990 and it was a very different China then. So back then, the term was more along the lines of like a ghost, I'd be called. And there was a there was an otherness that was, you know, almost surreal to them. They would need to like touch my hair, touch my skin. But when I went back, the more like PC term by then um, that they would call and they would call out almost like in a hello, they would just say like, why go Ren? So literally, it's outside. Why? It's outside person, uh -huh. um, outside Guo's country person. Um, and so it's, it's literally like saying, Hey, outsider, like just, you know, <laughs> bringing it to like, as if you didn't know enough already and owning that and just realizing that, you know, in some way we're all outsiders, we're all insiders to different sections. And it's, there was actually a weird part of me as a kid that was really sad because I realized, you know, I, I loved China so much and there was something so special to it. And I, at the point when I realized I could never be Chinese, I, yeah, I would right. never be accepted and I could never stay there forever as if I was Chinese. Um, and as a kid, that was really like <laughs> sad to me. I just, because I just, it was just what I wanted. It was like, wow, this is just never going to happen. But understanding that like, it's okay, I can participate in this way. But just being conscious of that feeling of, you know, I can't ever be in that club or I can't ever whatever. Yeah. Just so much that helps with empathy. And I feel like we emphasize empathy now in such a way that's kind of sugarcoated, but really it's tapping into a universality of pain and mm -hmm. grief or not being chosen, all these kind of archetypal experiences, once you tap into that, having an understanding of that, it's like, it's just, it expands your heart to include everybody else that doesn't get that as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so I almost like to use the word compassionate more than empathy, because empathy seems to be like, oh, I empathize with you. Sometimes it starts to get a little bit, I don't know, it's been kind of used in a weird way, but compassion is just this baseline, like, I get it, I've been there. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I hear what, I hear what you're saying. When it is, it, everything has to become an identity now. Like I'm not, you're not, you don't just empathize. You are an empath, and it's embodied in who you are. And everyone's, everyone's, they're 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 enlightened, and I don't know, just everyone's trying and they're doing their best and they're searching and and that kind of thing. But no, I, I hear what you're saying, and um, yeah, the the Italian word for foreigner is stranieri, which kind of sounds like a stranger, like it's like, um, and it's not in or like uh, in you know um, Latino cultures they use the word gringo, and I always thought it was kind of um, an insult, 
And I, I was asking, I asked some people from three different countries and they're like, no, no, it just means kind of an outsider or non, non Latino. And then I, then I Googled actually what it meant. And it's a derivative of the word Greco, which like we say, it's all Greek to me. And so the Spaniards would say, you know, basically the way the, the Greeks called, you know, anyone that wasn't Greek, a barbarian, because it, I don't know if you know that story. Yeah. Yeah. With what, for people that don't know, it's like, it sounded like what they're saying was like, blah, 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 like blah, blah, blah. So anyone that didn't speak Greek was a barbarian. And then we say it's all Greek to me because it's like foreign. And so then uh, the Greco turned into gringo. So gringo is just any non-Latino person. <laughs> and even the word foreign, you know, when we use it in we hear it in medical terminology. It's like there's a foreign body in there. It's like something that's not supposed it doesn't belong. to be there. Yeah. 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 And so it's there's this inherent us needing to say, this is me. You're different. We're separate. There's just this like. Or even alien. Like, right. Alien so doesn't, it's it, not even just non-humanoids from other planets. It's also uh, someone from another country is, in, in, is the, the word is used and. It sounds horrible. Um, it, it can be incredibly problematic because they become less human. So the more you can experience being the foreigner or whatever, then, um, you, you know, you got the commonality between everyone. That's okay. That's so, yeah. <clears throat> so getting back to, to your field and depth psychology, what is it that you're hoping to be able to like, what, what is the, and, may, and maybe because you're in the middle of the research, you're, you're not ready to talk about that, but like, what is it like you are hoping to like, be able to like help people with the most and help people understand um, it when you're done with your, your dissertation? Sure. I mean, that's, that is the main, the, I mean, the point is the process and for me to go through it personally, but if it was left at me, that's just, that's not the ultimate goal, right? Um, I think kind of as I have always done in my life, I'm kind of always on the borderland between two things. And the two things here um, is depth psychology academically. Um, and I'm not a therapist, but, you know, includes therapists. Um, and then the fields of women's health. Um, and the idea would be to kind of straddle the two and bring them together and to be the, the depth psychologist within women's health and to be the women's health advocate within depth psychology and just keep them in dialogue um, and open up, you know, as soon as you throw something out there, it becomes fodder for continue, you know, continual mm -hmm. conversation. And so that's sort of the main idea is to say, okay, this is what we've heard so far. This is what people have presented. Um, I want to work a lot with literature and poets. Like you had mentioned, that's where you learn a lot about the human experience and like 100% true um, for women's health. And um, I, I would like to be able to create resources both for depth psychologists from a women's health point of view, but also for women's health professionals bringing in a depth sensibility to their work just to make sure things, we continually 
talk about what embodiment is. And for me, you know, a, a common, not a common, but sort of at the core of all of this is voice. Um, and so how is voice, you know, trying to come through women and the most intimate voice, what knowledge with capital K, we love to capitalize things. Yep. <laughs> um, what knowledge is coming forth into our consciousness through our female bodies? How do you do that? What is that? <laughs> I don't have right? a feel, but I don't have a female body. So tell me like, what is What does that mean? Or for I mean, someone, someone else that I'm sorry, the vehicle is the same as a, a male body, but sure, sure. the focus, um, it's, it's just breaking down a paradigm of being told what your truth is, right? And making your truth a little more somatic and embodied. And so, you know, a big part of that is emotion mm -hmm. um, and staying with emotions when you are going through experiences. It's, it's just completely normalized now to disassociate ourselves um, and we can kind of stay consciously going through life. Um, but just like, I don't know if you've ever driven your car somewhere and you arrive at your destination and you're kind of like, I don't remember <laughs> driving. Like you were someplace else. Yeah. And we go through life like that on autopilot. Um, and when we do that, we're just so much more susceptible to not really understanding deeper things that are trying to move through us um, that are part of who we are. And so we're sort of disowning ourselves and our bodies that way. Yeah. I love, I, I love that that's part of what you're focused on because I think that's, that's the root of so many wasted lives is we get into autopilot, you know, and we're, we're, we're kind of put into these tracks from little kids, you know, little kids when they're, when you're really little, they're just out doing their thing and playing in the dirt and, playing make-believe and doing all the fun things. And then they kind of get into this little track and pretty soon they've got a backpack and a notebook and a schedule and a, and then they're being channeled into like, well, you got to do this so that you get good grades in high school and you got to do this so that you get into the right college and right career. And then, <clears throat> then all the trappings of, you know, what I tried to write about my book about the American dream of houses and cars and stuff and roles and responsibilities and you know it's how was your monday and thank god it's friday and i want to retire and what does retirement mean is some golf and a couple couple of nice vacations and then you're then you're done if you're not conscious that's that's the sort of track you're like i don't know where the year went i can't believe it's already july i can't believe i'm this age like all the crises we hit i think so much is because we're again i'm an, i'm not an <laughs> I'm a professional, just from my own life experience and watching, I was a financial advisor for 20 something years and I watched lots, I got to see lots of biographies of people. <clears throat> There's a lot of unconscious just living because we're just kind of put our heads down and do what's expected and do what it's thought. And going back to like what you said, so finding your truth, it's, it's very powerful. I want, I want your opinion about this. I see it such a power, it's been such a powerful thing for me to be able to speak my truth and live my truth. <clears throat> but that, that word now has also kind of become very malleable in, in today's day and age where 
we believe that there is no some some is some people are operating where there is no absolute truth. So, as an example, uh, the the guy um, I'm, I hope this isn't insensitive, but the guy that didn't want to get the submarine certified, he did he thought that that was a truth that he could bypass and physics showed otherwise and we're seeing that in lots and lots of examples now like so there it's it's simultaneously very powerful to be able to like accept who you are and live the life you want and not allow certain things in your life so that you can thrive and then the other side of like declaring your truth that's verifiably wrong <laughs> Whether it's about, you know what I'm saying? Like there's like, if I just said my truth is there is no gravity, I would, I could be proven horribly wrong if I tried to jump off of a tall thing. Right? <laughs> so there, there, there are, there are capital T truths. Um, and then there are inner truths. So I don't know that, that without, I, I, that's not my, that's just for, for me like, chewing on these things as I go for long walks. So maybe you can help, help me with this a little bit. Yeah. I just, I hear how, when you're talking, how it's so connected to, um, truth is so connected to feeling and talk about shadow feeling, especially for men, but also women has been the shadowy thing. We're scared of our anger. We're scared of our tears. We're scared that if we're sad, it means we're depressed and that somehow then everything's over for us. Um, we're scared of having another panic attack. We're scared of, so, you know, it's just so much easier to tap out, numb, disconnect. And I would argue that's doing that directly sets us up for being unethical it sets us up for making a lot of decisions that are dangerous in society. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so hard to, you know, navigate this world when you live from a more feeling standpoint, but um, it's going to be one of the biggest sources of personal truth, like you said, a subjective truth. And that's kind of all we have to go in the moment because our truths can also change, right? It can be what we need in one moment. Um, and as we grow, it can be something different. It's again, not an absolute truth, but so many examples of when things really go awry is when people are distancing themselves from that. Um, and it's not their fault. We've been trained that way. Um, mm -hmm. Society has molded us to be that way, you know, to get through a day in modern life, you know, requires like a, I would say it's easier. It doesn't require, but it's so much easier if we're armored up mm -hmm. quite a bit with our defenses and whatnot. Um, and it takes so much, we talked about courage in our last conversation to um, put those down and feel all the feelings and let that guide us. I love what you're, you know, ignoring, ignoring those truths, ignoring your feelings, ignoring your emotions. Yes. Yeah, so like you said, leads to, uh, and on, on, the on, uh, on one hand, just, just simply wasting your life because you're not living the way you truly want to. Um, and on the other end, like you said, it could lead to unethical, um, 
and unethical might mean truly like really do actively or doing really harmful, horrible things, whether it's in a relationship or in a business or whatever it might be. <clears throat> but also what I saw about myself was that when when I was trying to fit the mold that I thought I was supposed to live, I was first and foremost, you could just say, not living my truth or not speaking my truth. But I could also say, like you said, the dark side of the moon, I was, I was lying to myself. And when we lie to ourselves, that spills out in every other word and communication. And then you build a whole life and all these circle, all your relationships are false because of the core. And I, I think that, and, and then if you start getting a, a feeling for that, or you start getting a sense of that, that's frightening to think that your whole life is like the Truman Show. It's this facade. It's this fakeness. <clears throat> and what does that mean? That was a frightening thing for me when I began <clears throat> my process. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the tricky thing that's hard to explain to people because it just looks so different on the outside. But, you know, talk about vulnerability. Um, it's one of the most courageous and things we can do, one of the most scary things we can do, you know, to really look at something for as it is. Um, and that takes so much that, you know, we can look incredibly, um, we can almost just feel raw on the outside, um, doing it because it's, it's so scary and so big, but, um, so worth it, I would think. Yeah. That, <clears throat> and I know you say you, you aren't, you aren't a therapist, but part of what psychology and therapy is trying to help people do and why I, I devoted a whole chapter that said, you know, blank is not your therapy because now it's very popular to say that, you know, nature is my therapy or yoga is my therapy or running or whatever the thing is. But, and those things are all helpful and therapeutic. And I know if, for anyone that's a longtime listener, I've, I've brought this up before, but when, when you said to look at it as it is, that, that to me was like the biggest thing the therapy process helped with is like, I felt like every now and then this mirror would be held up and you're like, ah, <laughs> stop, it, put it down. And then it takes a little while before you get comfortable going, okay, all right. I see that. I accept that. Now I got to like, they chew on that for a while and then you heal from that. And it's like, like I said, or in the very beginning is another, okay, there's another onion layer. I'll peel that back. And, you, ah, and then you, you know, so it's, it's a never ending process. Like you said, I love that you said that about your work, that you're, that you're, you're trying to come up with uh, this, this concept and this thing and this theory and this work of bot, this body of work that then will be a new thing that other people will look at. And, and since maybe you talked about Freud and Jung back in 1913, maybe in 1313, someone's talking about, well, you know, Rachel, Michelle, she did this and this and this. And, and now we found, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's exciting to think about you're, you're adding to this body of knowledge and human knowledge and 
hopefully uh, improving the experience and lives of people. Okay, Rachel, that was so much fun. I had, I, I learned so much. I super appreciate your time. And I really, really, uh, I'm really grateful that you came on, shared your knowledge and wisdom with us. For everybody that's listening, if you're interested, make sure you go to Instagram to your.beautiful.myth and give Rachel a follow. She's got, she's got an amazing page, beautiful posts, very, very thoughtful, uh, uh, descriptions and, and notes of what her, what, what her thoughts are. Um, in addition to that, Rachel, um, what else are you working on that maybe people might be interested in would, would, that, uh, that you're passionate and excited about? Yeah, definitely. Um, also on my, um, Instagram page in the bio section is the link to, um, the pelvic empowerment movement. I joined a doctor of physical therapy, women's health specialist. She's also a somatic practitioner, um, Liliana, and we are providing coaching through the pelvic empowerment movement. And so um, you can read all about it. it's education, it's embodiment, coaching. Um, that is pelvic empowerment movement, mvmt.com. Excellent. And that, that, and that link is on your Instagram profile page, right? Okay, good. So you can find everything at your.beautiful.myth for Rachel, Michelle. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, again, give, give her, give Rachel a follow and, um, and check it out. There's a lot of really, really informa useful information there that again, if, if it's, if what you see is more female focused, it's still just like what we were talking about, the experience of like being a foreigner, being different, you, you, you'll gain a, you'll gain an understanding of what other people, you know, fifty-one percent of the population might be going through, and someone very, very close to you might be going through. Whether it's your your spouse, your girlfriend, your your daughter, or anyone else in your life, so I think that's important to understand. Um, to understand that, even if you can't fully, fully, fully understand, just have some idea of what someone might be struggling with, so that maybe you can help or support them in any way you can. So, thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate your, I appreciate you so much, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Carla. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.